step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another great episode of Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with my co-host, John Harlow. Today we'll discuss the Can-Am 500 from the Phoenix International Raceway and preview the Ford Championship weekend this weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. Also, we'll give our championship predictions who in each series will win the championship. Also, we'll talk about a controversial rule that arose during Sunday's race that left several drivers and teams scratching their heads after Phoenix. Did NASCAR do the right thing this weekend in enforcing the rules? And restricted plates at Indianapolis? Maybe. We'll give our thoughts on that. Plus, there will, there's also talk about a potential sponsorship replacement for Sprint. Will there be a monster announcement soon? We'll find out. Also, Tony Stewart's last race this Sunday, what is his lasting legacy? We'll talk about all that. And we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280 here on Talking in Circles. That's the number to call me and John Harlow from FreelayMedia.com. But first, John, of course, it was a Can-Am 500 at Phoenix. Joey Logano's 17th career win, aided by a late race accident between Matt Kenseth and Alex Bowman. Kenseth was uh, running in the lead. Bowman was, was, was trying to chase him down, got pushed by Kyle Busch, you could argue, into turn one. Kenseth came down on Bowman. Caused a big wreck. Logano found himself in the lead and was able to hold off the rest of the field to win the Can-Am 500. Your thoughts on the Sunday afternoon at Phoenix International Raceway? I thought it was a decent race. I mean, you had some passing. Uh, you get a laugh when everybody tries to cut the dog leg and they end up sm- I mean, just not getting anywhere for it other than just taking the shortcut. The one thing that um, I feel bad for is Alex Bowman had the race of his life. He showed that he put him in good equipment. He can run with anybody. He led more laps than anybody, and that wreck with Kenseth was not Alex Bowman's fault. He was as close to the wall as you could get. He almost hit the inside wall going into turn one. That was, And even Matt Kenseth's spotter basically said, hey, blame me, that was my fault. I cleared him too soon. But all in all, it was a pretty good race. I, mean, I felt bad for Kenseth. Yeah. It was funny that Roger Penske put it in his post-race whenever he was talking to Claire B. after the race, and he made sure he brought up the karma from last year that sure. it just seemed that, hey, you got taken out and you didn't make the show. Um, but it's the four best cars are going to be there. Um, Harvick was off all weekend, which was a surprise. Yes, Kurt Busch was off so. a little bit all weekend and came back, but it just – it was the four best cars are there. Denny Hamlin, I mean, I was talking to Lee in Virginia online, and he basically said, Mike Wheeler, I'm surprised. If he makes a trip back to Charlotte, I'll be surprised for trying to make that call of staying out when everybody's coming in and getting fresh rubber and everybody's gassing up, and he's trying to win a fuel mileage race when everybody has just gone in on caution and nobody's – so they and then they come in later – come back for like an 8th or 10th place finish, but they basically sunk themselves. Um, yeah. It was a, but the four best cars are going. I mean, you knew Johnson was going to be there. You knew Edwards was going to be there. Kyle Busch did everything he needed to do, even after wrecking, I mean, going to a backup car, having the problems that he had all weekend, qualifying poorly. I'm sorry, the backup car was the week before, but he qualified like 19th. He was terrible in qualifying. But they made the moves during the race, they made the adjustments, and they got where they needed to be, and Logano won the race. So it's going to be a good Final Four come Sunday. Yeah, and listen, I, I think you touched on a lot of stuff there, but I think, uh, you know, there's, there's a whole lot to dissect. And I, let me first off by saying this. I agree. I think Alex Bowman, 
Uh, if you weren't impressed with what he did on Sunday, I, I don't know. You know, you just don't know what racing is because that guy, you know, hadn't run um, in a prime in front of equipment in his career, really. We've never really seen what he's capable of doing in good equipment. He went out there at Hendrick Motorsports, and I, I know Hendrick Motorsports was on their A game. Jimmy Johnson, before the penalty, was, was uh, you could argue, the class of the field and one of the uh, best cars in the field. And we'll touch on that penalty a little bit later as well. Um, Alex Bowman was strong. Casey Kane was strong. So the Hendrick Motorsports camp uh, was very, very good. And so I think when you look at it from that standpoint, you say, listen, you know, even Chase Elliott had a really good day. Um, yeah, he was in front of equipment, but it takes something to go up there and lead. He led 194 of the race's 324 laps. This is a guy, again, who never led in his life. And, you know, Casey Kane didn't lead any laps on Sunday. Uh, so to go out there and do what he did, that was very, very impressive. And I know he only finished sixth. When we look at that race, we're going to sit there and say, oh, well, that only ended up as a sixth-place finish. But there was a lot of people talking during that race. Get this kid in a big ride. Get this kid in a big ride. And unfortunately for him, it doesn't look like there's too much going on right now. I know there's a lot of chatter with the silly season news. I was on a phone with a, with a friend of mine who's uh, pretty well into the business. There's a lot of chatter going on about certain things. And, uh, yeah, listen, I mean, maybe Bowman finds his way in a cup team. I don't think he's going to find himself into a premier cup ride next season. But this showed what he can do. When a car is right, he can go out there and lead, and he did just that. He, I think it was one of the most impressive runs we've seen from a young driver in a long, long time because I know people thought, you know, well, he's a good driver and he's in good stuff, but I don't think anybody thought him to go out there and basically was uh, a couple laps from, from really having a solid run in that race. Uh, so, listen, great job by him, no doubt about it. I don't think he did anything wrong there, you know, I think if he had to do it all over again, I think he doesn't block Kyle Busch again. Uh, I know Kyle came down on the inside of him, and, he, and he's running for his first career win. And naturally, I think I would have blocked. I think anybody in, anybody would have blocked trying to go for their first career win. But I think at the end of the day, he probably sits there and says, that's the one thing I regret is blocking Kyle Busch because at the end of the day, that got him pushed into the corner, and that got Matt Kenseth and everybody else wrecked. Um, but I don't think he did anything wrong. You can't blame him for blocking that situation. Uh, you mentioned Chris Osborne, a spotter from Matt Kenseth, took blame for the accident. And he deserves a lot of credit there because there's not a lot of spotters I don't think who would have come out and accepted it the way he did. Um, impressive what Kenseth did this weekend as well. That was a team that needed to go out there and really have a solid run, and he did that. One little mistake here, and that's what this chase is all about. One little mistake can can end your season on a sour note. And unfortunately for Matt Kenseth, that's what happened. But overall, John, I agree. I think it was a good race. And it was interesting to me because we saw the Hendrick Motorsports cars run really, really strong there. And, you know, I mentioned Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott was up front in top five for some of the, most of the day, top ten all day. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, before he had the penalty, was, was leading and, and leading a lot of laps. Alex Bowman would just talk about what he did. And Casey Kane had a really fast car, which makes you scratch your head about Stuart Haas Racing because Stuart Haas Racing had two race teams that needed to go out there and basically win on Sunday. Kurt Busch didn't do anything all day long. He was out to lunch. So was Kevin Harvick. You know, you can see what you want. This was a race where I told a buddy of mine, if Harvick doesn't finish first or second coming in, something went wrong. And nothing went wrong, and Harvick was an eighth to tenth place car basically all day long. Uh, when you think that there's there, – and Tony Stewart didn't do anything, and Dana, because she was out on our island all by herself for different reasons. But – when you think about that they get their chassis and enter from Hendrick Motorsports, it really makes you scratch your head, and you have to wonder. Kevin Harvick's championship hopes were dashed based on the fact that they're moving to Ford next year, and Hendrick Motorsports stood in that hose of information and said, you know what, we have something at Phoenix. We're not going to give it to the Stuart Haas guys because they can use it to beat us next year. So I, I truly think, John, that had a lot to do with why we didn't see Kevin Harvick perform the way we normally see him perform at Phoenix. I think the information sharing stopped not long after the announcement that Stuart Haas was going to the Blue Oval. I think the engines and the chassis that they purchased, they were keeping them, and they got all their transactions done early in the year. I don't think there was a lot of conversation going back and forth. I think uh, Tony was, Tony's group was using Rex Stump to try to, Man, uh, 
adjust the chassis the way they wanted them. But it just, they had their setup a little bit off compared, I mean, it probably was what they had when they won the race in the, early in the year, but they just were off all weekend. And Rodney Childers still hasn't put, pointed a finger at it because he's getting ready to go to Homestead. They haven't probably had time to really dissect what happened on uh, Sunday afternoon. But Harvick wasn't Harvick. Harvick usually goes out and leads 200 of the 312 laps at Phoenix, and we all go home and say, okay, Harvick won again. I think it's an interesting um, way that they looked at it. I mean, you heard Johnson halfway through the year we're tired of getting beat by our own stuff because we'll give them everything they have, but they don't open the books back to us. I think the books have been shut almost all year. Yeah, and that wouldn't surprise me, John. I mean, you have to feel most for Kevin Harvick because that when he needed to win this year, and that's another thing. You know, you can argue, yeah, he needed to win at Phoenix, but they also shot themselves in the foot, you know, uh, at Texas with a blown engine. In Martinsville, they had some issues there as well where, listen, you know, they could have easily gotten themselves in points-wise where they could have run up front and Phoenix wouldn't have been a necessity to do what they needed to do there. Um, but it was. And and you know what? That's what it ultimately comes down to. And this four team, you know, we saw him lead him last year when he went, to, uh, when he went to Dover there um, and, and got to the championship four and wasn't able to uh, obviously win a championship because of Kyle Busch. But he won Dover when he had to do it, you know, and he won this year when he had to win. Uh and you have to wonder how many times you have to do that. And he was in a situation where he's done it before. Like, hey, he's done it before. This is his best racetrack. You put somebody in that situation one too many times, and you're gonna, it's just going to backfire. And eventually, that's what it did for Kevin Harvick. I think it backfired this weekend. He needed to go out there. I understand, you know what, he needed to go out there and win. But I, it's, a, it's a shame almost because this was a guy who, um, again, I think if maybe if if that hose isn't stepped on by Hendrick Motorsports and their information is flowing perfectly, uh, Kevin Harvick's probably in the championship four there. But listen, we got to give Logano some credit too. That team, I know he was struggling towards the end of that race, and it looked like at one point a Kevin Harvick pass would have taken Logano from in the chase to outside the chase right before the caution came out with Michael McDowell with two to go, which changed everything. McDowell blew right front tire, hit the outside wall. It changed everything. That led to the, to the Kenseth and uh, Alex Bowman crash and put Logano in front. Now, Logano was on older tires, too, and people forget that. Um, but let's give him some credit there. You know what? It took something to hold off those guys at the end of that race on a green-white checkered, and he's able to do it. Uh, and it was a clutch win for him, and Kyle Busch needed to have a solid run. He wasn't great all day, but he ran okay and did just good enough and got a little bit lucky. But you know what? Nobody says you can't get lucky in this sport. Definitely got a little bit lucky because his teammate wrecked. But you know what? He's in the chase in the Final Four. And those two guys, when they needed to run good and perform, they did it on Sunday. They finished where they needed to finish, John. The one thing with Logano, he was great on short runs. But the longer the run went, the more everybody caught up to him. And if you look right before the Michael McDowell accident, they were getting into a longer run, and Kyle Busch caught up to him. And Harvick was catching him. And then the wreck happened. So you have... Logano starting on the front row, and it's a short run, two laps. Logano was able to pull away, and he's great at restarts. He's done fine. The inside line wasn't so great with restarts, which hurt Kyle Busch. It turned out to be the right thing for Logano, and he wound up pulling away to get the victory and punch his ticket to Homestead. Like I said, I mean, I was watching, they had all four drivers on with Dan Patrick today, and all four of them said how much they love. Homestead. It's a perfect race for the end of the season because you can hug the bottom, you can run the top, you can run the middle. You can pass people without having them having to knock people out of the way or aerodynamics. I mean, even though it's a mile and a half, aerodynamics just doesn't hold it the way it does at other places. You don't get as aero tight or aero loose as you do everywhere else. You can run all three lines and you can pass people. And you've seen it before, Homestead, you can have the best race in the world or somebody can hit it right and you see like Martin Truex Jr. did at the Coke 600 and he'll be 30 seconds ahead of the field. It's one of those racetracks, but it's the best racetrack I think we have to determine who's going to win it. I agree. 917-889-8280 here. If you want to join in on the conversation here on Talking Circles about anything we're talking about tonight, you can call in at 917-889-8280. Uh, 
listen, it reminds me a lot of, of what Atlanta used to be. You know, Atlanta before they made the configuration in '97 uh, was a was a track where you know you had those long straightaways with two turns that were very pretty much identical around them, and they made obviously now the dog leg and made a lot like Charlotte and Atlanta. But that's what this is what Atlanta used to be. Um, it's a great racetrack. You know, like you said, you can run up and down. Uh, you know, past people, and it's a fun racetrack. It's a mile and a half, but it's a fun racetrack, and it's a good place to leave it. Now, I think with um, more years we've seen on the pavement there, I believe it was paved when they reconfigured the track. I think that was 2003, the first year of the configuration. So this asphalt has a lot of years on it now, uh, which is good because we love we love to see that, you know. Uh, I think it's a perfect age right now where 13 years isn't too old, like we saw Texas, where you start to get a little too old at Texas. Um I think it's a perfect right now for racing, and I think it helps Homestead Miami Speedway a lot. With that being said, John, you know, we have four drivers into this chase here. Obviously, Jimmy Johnson's win at Martinsville gets him in the championship four. Carl Edwards' win at Texas got him in. Joey Logano's win at Phoenix, and Kyle Busch pointed his way in. Uh, there's some fun storylines going in because Edwards, who, you know, you remember very well the championship run in 2011. He finished second by uh, a tie in 2011, 2008, he had his best year of his career, won a, basically every race there was, and barely missed the championship. Going for his first title, you have Jimmy Johnson, who is going to be trying to be the third driver in NASCAR history to win seven championships. Uh, Joe Logano is also going for his first title. He's the lone four representative who sponsors all three race, we, races this weekend. Uh, it's four championship weekend. He's a lone four representative to win the title, so that's something to keep an eye on as well. And, of course, you got Kyle Busch, who is the defending series champion and is trying to make it two in a row. Um, and, and Johnson's six previous championships, John, this is what I find intriguing. He's never been on offense. He's always been on defense at Homestead Miami Speedway. Now he's going to be at on offense. Um, you know, I'll give you my picks in a little bit to win a championship, uh, who do you got, John? Who's your pick to win a championship? I've never seen – I mean, that's one of the things you just said. I've never seen Johnson run well at Homestead. He's never really had to, but I've never seen him run well there. Logano, he runs really well there. Carl Edwards runs really well there. And Kyle Busch proved last year that he can run well there. He won the race. But I just have this sneaky feeling. 50th anniversary of Team Penske. It's Ford Championship weekend. He's the only blue oval running this weekend. I almost got to go with sliced bread on this one just because of the way things are adding up. I'd love to see Johnson win his seventh title and and Ty Earnhardt and Petty just because we've been sitting on six for so long and I'd just like to see it happen because we are witnessing history even though he's very vanilla, and there's not a whole lot of controversy or people root to see him lose and all that stuff. I'd like to see Johnson get a seventh because we have watched history for the past 15-plus uh, years that he's been in the sport. It's just amazing what the guy's done in this short amount of time. Yeah, and listen, uh, about his six championships, you know, and I'll go off a little topic here before I give you my pick for the championship, but a lot of people have said this, and I just want to clear the air about Jimmy and his six championships aren't legit. I understand that to a point because I, I personally, as an old school fan, I respect the Winston Cup era immensely. I, I think, you know, to be consistent over a whole year is, is amazing. But Johnson only ran that in that format in two years of his career. I hate penalizing a guy for the era he ran in. And I truly believe that this 48 team would have won multiple championships no matter what the points format was. People forget, though, John, that Richard Petty, in his, in his seven championships, he only won two in the, in the Winston Cup format from 1975 to 2003. Prior to that, he won five other ones in, in formats that were crazy, crazy formats. And I put an article on RacingInCircles.com about it, uh, about, you know, 74 was a nut was a nutty way to do it. They, I think they went one year they went by by laps completed. It, it was just insane. But Richard Petty gets the respect he deserves for seven championships. And and listen, he deserves those, that credit. He's the king of NASCAR. He deserves all that credit. So so should Jimmy Johnson. I'm not saying it's a perfect scenario, but he absolutely should get his credit 
for seven championships. Now, with that being said, and bringing it back to on topic here, I liked what I've seen from Hendrick Motorsports recently. They went out at Phoenix and they had to perform, uh, and they performed great. I mean, we like I said, all four of those cars were really, really good. Uh, and I haven't been in love with what I've seen at Joe Gibbs Racing. They seem since the chase, they seem to be a little bit blah. And it looks like Hendrick Motorsports and Team Penske are starting to pass them a little bit in the performance department. Um, I agree. I like Logano this weekend as well. But my championship is going to be Jimmy Johnson. And I think the key thing for Jimmy Johnson is, and this is where I'll be intrigued. And I don't normally focus on practice and qualifying and give it too much um, credibility here. But this is what I'm going to – I'll say this. I think if the 48 car goes out there this weekend, wins a practice session, qualifies in the top three, that Friday night when everybody goes to bed, they're going to be sitting there going, boy, that 48 is here, and they're here to play, and they're scary because they've been here before, and they've done it constantly. If they go out and they lay an egg in a practice session and they don't qualify very good, I think everybody's going to sit there and go, you know what, it's everybody's game. But from the mentality standpoint and intimidation factor, I think Jimmy needs to go out there, practice really solidly, maybe even lead the practice, and qualify in the top five. Because if he does that, I think mentally going into this race, I think Jimmy's going to have the edge. I really do. The one thing I I like about Homestead that makes it kind of special is you don't have to be in the front four cars to win the race. If you remember, I was watching it last night because they had the flash, they had the throwback on NBCSN. Stewart, when he raced in 2011 to win it, I mean, he passed 74 cars during the race, but he started 15th, and Carl Edwards had the pole. You can pass cars all over the place this, at this track, but you're right. If Johnson puts puts uh, a great qualifying lap down, goes out and runs well in practice, puts one of those 10 lap averages up to make people think. He'll be in people's heads on Saturday night, and there'll be three other crew chiefs saying, oh, crap, Johnson's got his stuff together. What do we got to do to beat that? And they may end up taking themselves, instead of worrying about themselves, they may be worrying about the 48, and that's half the battle. And and it's funny because you won't hear Jimmy brag. You don't hear Jimmy say anything. And that's what makes him almost even scarier is because he's so even keel, you're not sure if he's excited that his car's really good and he's focused, or you know you can't tell with Jimmy Johnson. So it's that it plays to his advantage. It really does. Same thing with Chad Knauf. It plays to their advantage. But, again, I, I just haven't seen what I like from the Joe Gibbs car. Even Denny Hamlin, you know, Denny, one of his best racetracks is Phoenix. He went out there and finished seventh. Wasn't a great – didn't lead any laps. Wasn't a great weekend for Hendrick Motors – or for Joe Gibbs Racing, excuse me. Kyle Busch didn't lead any laps. Kenseth was very, very good. And I think Kenseth would have been a guy who I think would have been much more interesting entry for uh, Joe Gibbs Racing in this chase. Um – because I just haven't really been in love with what I've seen from the 19 car even. I know they ran really good at Texas and got that win, but, you know, if that rain don't come, I don't think he wins that race, and I don't think he's in the chase. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm not been, I haven't been in love with what I've seen from Hendrick Motorsports, or from Joe Gibbs Racing, excuse me. I like what I've seen from Hendrick Motorsports. I think that 48 car is going to come to play on Sunday. It's going to be fun to see, just to see who comes to play. And like I said, the mentality of that 48 team, if they go out there and they sit on the pole, or run, qualify in the top five and take a couple practice sessions early on, I think that'll be huge for them. 917-889-8280 here to join the conversation on Talking Circles. We'll talk about anything you want to talk about. Homestead, Phoenix, uh, Indianapolis, restricted plates. We have that coming up in a little bit. I'm dying to hear John Harlow's take on that, restricted plates in Indianapolis. Uh, but first, let's get to the um, something that's got a little bit of controversy this week about the rule where – Jimmy Johnson and Martin Strips Jr. were penalized this weekend for passing the pace car going down to pit road. If you aren't familiar with the situation, I'll try and recap it a little bit. Johnson and Truex were leading the field, and the pace car obviously stays on a racetrack, and both of those leaders uh, pull down to go to pit road. And there's a little bit of distance between the commit line and where they pull down. And when they pulled down to the to commit, by the time they got to the commit line, they were past the pace car. NASCAR has come out and said, that is not what we want to see. You're not allowed to pass the pace car. They penalized Martin Truex Jr., and they penalized Jimmy Johnson on Sunday. Now, Johnson came out was very vocal, said, listen, I didn't know the rule. Uh, and, and from what I've heard, John, 
is that this is a rule that I think a lot of people are aware that it exists, but it's not called often. And I was talking to a buddy of mine, a mutual friend of ours, John, who brought this up, and I thought it was fascinating, fascinating about this topic. Remember that scoring fiasco at Martinsville? Martinsville is a similar track to Phoenix where pit road's a little bit awkward there. And he said maybe there was an incident at Martinsville where somebody was pulling past the pace car, and that's why the scoring was messed up for so many laps. And NASCAR said, you know what? We don't want to deal with that anymore. We're going to penalize the guys. Now, we saw it a little earlier in the year at Dover. I believe it was Kevin Harvick got penalized for it. Um, But in my 20-plus years of watching NASCAR, I don't recall an incident like this prior to 2016. And if they wanted to get hard on this rule, I'm okay with it. But why do it with two races going a year when you can really determine somebody's championship hopes on a, on a really borderline rule? I wasn't in love with that. It didn't hurt anything because Truex was out and Johnson was already in. But what are your thoughts on that whole passing the pace car situation, John? Well, Steve O'Donnell said Monday on uh, Sirius XM that it's brought up at the driver's meeting every week. And Truex, if you go back to um, when you're talking Dover, Truex is the one who got penalized because he was so far ahead, and Harvick was the one complaining about it, that Truex would just jump and bust a move into pit road and pass the pace car. And Truex did it again, and Johnson did it as well, and Truex was just so blatant that they had to call it. And Johnson's was borderline, but they figured if they call Truex, they got to call Johnson. But it's something that's in the rule book. It's something that's brought up at every driver's meeting. It's on the drivers to – they're the ones that control the gas pedal, the brake pedal, and the steering wheel. If they can't follow the rule, even though it's a sometimes enforced one, but if it's blatant, they're going to call it. Do the right thing. Don't put it in their hands. Do what you're supposed to. Stay behind the pit. Stay behind the pace car, and everything will be fine. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of people. Somebody brought up something interesting too, where they don't always have the camera right on pit road to determine that. Uh, the camera angle at Phoenix this weekend was was actually really good, and it and it played into their NASCAR's hands, where they could clearly see Johnson and Martin Truex Jr. passing the pace car. It was clear as day. And listen. It's not the fact that they didn't break the rule because they clearly, clearly did. My thing is, again, if this is clearly communicated. Now, we're not in the driver's meeting. I have no idea if this is clearly communicated or not. Jimmy Johnson seemed dumbfounded. Maybe he was trying to do that because he didn't want to seem, uh, you know, guilty in all this and, and didn't want to admit guilt. I don't know. But Jimmy Johnson seemed really dumbfounded, and that's what strikes me because he's a guy, again, who's a six-time champion, focuses on everything, knows everything. And so does Chad. Chad knows a lot. And they seem kind of dumbfounded, like this was kind of a rule, but it's not really enforced. I just, listen, it's clear now, because it's gotten a lot of attention, that they don't want that to happen anymore. I'm okay with that. But again, if you want to get to enforce it, I'm totally okay with that. But let's do it at next, starting next season, saying, you know what, over the off season, say this has been an issue for the last two years or however many years. We're going to nip it in the bud this year. We want to we want to sit there and go. You can't do that. We're going to penalize you, and just get these drivers used to that. I'd be okay with that. Um, I just don't know if it was, you know, something that was more strictly enforced this weekend because of something we saw a scoring situation at Martinsville. I thought that was very a very interesting point uh, that somebody brought up to me this earlier today. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Join the conversation on Talking Circles. We uh, we'll talk about Indianapolis with restricted plates. Tony Stewart's legacy and a potential monster announcement for the Cup Series sponsorship. We'll discuss all that. But, John, here we go. Indianapolis Motor Speedway, there's talk that the NASCAR Xfinity Series in 2017 will use restrictor plates for their race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, Obviously, the, the product at Indianapolis Motor Speedway hasn't been good the last couple of years especially that Xfinity Series race that's been dreadful. Um, what are your thoughts? Restrictor plates in Indianapolis, that's kind of crazy. Well, let's see. Restrictor plates are going to tighten everybody up, but it's a one-groove track going into each turn, so all you're going to do is have pileups going into turn one every time. Yeah, makes sense. Let's do it. Put restrictor plates on everything now. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. They Listen. Indianapolis is not made for stock cars. We know it. 
We appreciate it. We basically bite our teeth every time they go there. As much as I would love to see Indianapolis work for for stock cars, Indianapolis is a racing treasure. It's just not for this type of racing. The cars are too heavy. The cars are don't turn on a dime like Indy cars do. It's just not built for it. If you put a restrictor plate on, okay, you're going to slow them down, which will bunch them all up, but it's still one groove going into the turn. There's no second groove because there's no banking out there. How are you going to do restrictor plates on a one-groove track? We saw it before when they did it after New, at New Hampshire after Adam Petty's death, and they wanted to slow the cars down there. They put restrictor plates on them, and Jeff Burton led 300 laps. Yeah. Well, I remember that race. That was fun to watch, to say the least. But, you know, I think there's a lot to take in here. First of all, you mentioned Indianapolis being a racing jewel. I think NASCAR loves going there. I hate the Xfinity Series race there. I understand why they do it. Uh, I, I personally look at Indianapolis this way, and, and this is the way it used to be viewed in racers' eyes, the elite of the elite race there. Uh, if you're in a Cup Series, okay. If you're in the top echelon of, of, of IndyCar racing, okay. Everything else, you got to wait until you get there to get to Indianapolis. Now it's sort of another running the lights there, um, and they now run the Xfinity Series race there. So it's not as elite as it used to be, but I think NASCAR wants to – Stay, stay here. And I think what they're trying to do, and they tried to do this with the high drag package last year. If you remember in 2015, there was a few races. Michigan was one, and Indianapolis was the was another one as well, where they had a high drag package. Those big, big spoilers on it was awful. Awful looking cars. And the product wasn't very good either. But the reason they tried to do that was they wanted to get the racing what similar to what we see in the Indianapolis 500. Now, the rules for the Indianapolis 500, now you almost see a sort of a, a super speedway type racing. Everybody's sort of in a line. You can go out and slingshot when you need to and all that kind of stuff. I think that's what NASCAR wants. I think they want a fact, and I think they've been embarrassed by, by a couple of years here where everybody's Indianapolis 500 over the past couple of years compared to the Coca-Cola 600 has stolen the show. They've stolen that weekend because that race has been so entertaining. I think NASCAR really, really wants a race that is reminiscent and very similar to the Indianapolis 500. Um, I, I don't. I think. Listen, I love stock car racing. I, I don't like IndyCar racing. I've, I, you know, I watch IndyCar racing, but it's not the same love as stock car racing. And what makes stock car racing so great to me, John? is it's different, different than any cars. It's different than Formula One. Why are we trying to get the product the same to what we see in IndyCar? IndyCar in America is not doesn't have the same following as NASCAR does because NASCAR is better than IndyCar, in my opinion. So why are we trying to mock what, in, what IndyCar has done? It's just not going to work. To me, John, that is a, a bad mentality. Now, I know the product hasn't been good, but let's keep working on the product and get it to where... You can pass, and leader isn't uh, clean air isn't such a factor. Let's do that and continue to work on this product and try and mimic what IndyCar has done. That bothers me. I, I don't see that they're trying to do that. I just see they're trying to do trying to find a way to bring the people back to Indy and try to make it something decent. They had the world at their feet when they first went to Indy. I mean, they sold it out the first five years there. But when they had the tire debacle, it hasn't been the same. They could run, I mean, running the Xfinity Series race there is probably because the Holman family wants it that way instead of running at IRP where they probably have more fans at IRP than they do at the Brickyard. It just, it looks like they're at an empty track practicing whenever they run in the Xfinity race. I just think it'd be a dumb move. I don't see any way that it could work because, again, the restrictor plate is going to bunch everybody up all the leader. And with the restrictor plate, you don't have the ability to pass because everybody's got the same amount of air going through the carburetor. So, it, I mean, it's going to make no sense. I don't know why they would do such a thing. Yeah, and I agree with you as the fact that I don't even think this track um, – would go very good for a 
research play. You know, part of what makes Daytona and Talladega so interesting is the fact that uh, it's a high bank track and there's a lot of room there. You mentioned Indianapolis, you know, you got the tight corners and everything. Uh, I don't think that would that would do very good there. And here's another aspect to it. I know you talked about the title debacle, and you're absolutely right. Since then, um, there's the attendance at that racetrack has not been great. Um, but you know, here's another thing. You know, when they first opened up Kentucky Speedway, um, they told Kentucky Speedway, "Listen, you're never going to get a cup date because you're so close to Indianapolis. Why would you put a cup date close to Indianapolis and sort of lose those fans that come to Indianapolis?" Well, now Kentucky is a cup date. It's better racing. It's a, it's a racetrack that is better for built for stock cars. It's probably cheaper because you're not paying to go to Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So most of those fans were, that were that were piling Indianapolis to see the cup cars because they they would never go anywhere else to see them because the opportunity to see them, you know, that was the closest racetrack for those fans. Now they can go to Kentucky and they go, we'll just go to Kentucky. Why are we going to go to Indianapolis? Because Indianapolis overcharges us for boring racing. That's another factor to keep in mind because, again, like I said, when they first opened up Kentucky, they told them they were never going to get a cup date because they're too close to Indianapolis. Well, guess what? They got a cup date now, and it just seems like even though now they moved the Xfinity Series to Indianapolis Motor Speedway, they still cancel all fans there. So I wonder, John, if that has anything to do with it as well. Well, part of the Kentucky finally getting a cup date because Bruton bought it. Um, and he just moved one of his other races there, so that's why Kentucky got a date. But I just any it just doesn't work right now. And until and, and one of the things that they have to do is almost they have to do a closed session where they bring everybody and they bring Goodyear and they try to find a package that will work and try to find a way to get a second groove in there. If they have to put the sticky stuff like they did down in Bristol up there to see if they can possibly get a second groove, that's possible. But unless you get the ability to pass in the turns, it makes no sense. It's one groove going into one, going into two, going into three, going into four. You have to do everything down to straightaways, and you lose so much momentum because it's a flat track. Your momentum's what carries you. So if you lose momentum going into the turns because somebody outbreaks you going in, your hose going down the straightaways. Yeah, listen, it's kind of mind-boggling. 917-889-8280 if you want to join a conversation here on Talking in Circles, which is what this caller has done. Hey, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Lee in Virginia. Hi, Lee. What do you want to talk about tonight? Well, I wanted to chime in on your uh, your Indianapolis Motor Speedway talk there for a little bit. Um, I think putting restrictor plates on the Xfinity car is sort of a cop-out. I think it's a lazy way to get out of to try and fix a problem. Um, you know, instead of focusing on what the real issue is and the fact that, you know, that there's no passing in Indianapolis, we're just going to put the restrictor plates on it. Now, John brought up a good point when he said, oh, well, they put the sticky stuff down. Well, maybe they do both in the Xfinity series. Um, and if that's the case, I think it's worth a shot because, uh, racing there can't get any worse than it already is. It's not like it's going to be worse. I mean, it'll be the same even if they don't pass. So, um, in that sense, I think it's a good, it'd be a good move. But, you know, fix the package. That's the way I look at it. Try and fix the package to make it better at these intermediate tracks, and I don't think you'd have that big of an issue. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's something they need to do at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Something else, guys, you know, not to change the subject here, um, but something that caught my eye as far as the news was this weekend, Monster Energy. There's talk Monster Energy is going to take over the Cup Series sponsorship, replacing Sprint at the end of the year. John Harlow, you know, do you think this is a good sponsorship for NASCAR for the Cup Series? And when and do you think this will get done? Um, if that's what they're talking, I don't think it's a bad sponsorship for the series. I mean, Monster Energy is owned by Coca-Cola. Monster Energy's done some good marketing to the younger folks whenever they do their motorcycle series. They're, you know, they need a younger audience. It isn't there right now. The package is nothing to write home about, and that's part of the reason because the racing isn't so great. But if it's something that entices the younger fans into the track and into watching NASCAR, it could be a good thing. I mean, it's not like Monster Energy's check's going to bounce because if the energy drink stuff starts going away, it becomes the Coca-Cola series instead of 
the um, Monster Cup Series is what it would end up being. So I think it's a smart move on NASCAR's part. You've got a big Fortune 500 company ready to step up and play. I go with it because everybody else, I mean, you see Hisense TVs as possibly being one of it. Yeah, that's going to be really attractive for, I mean, it's the Hisense Cup Series. I mean, it's a, it's just a matter of how much money's being brought to the table. And whatever, at the end of the day, Brian France is going to take the most amount of money coming in, no matter what. The only thing it does, yeah. if it becomes Monster Energy, it could be a problem for the 77 team whenever they do whatever they end up doing, whenever Eric Jones comes back to Joe Gibbs Racing, and Five Hour Energy won't be able to switch teams because it'll be sort of like the Altel and uh, Singular were whenever Sprint and Nextel came into town. Yeah, I wonder if that exclusivity deal will be in this contract because I think it burned a lot of teams last time you mentioned Singular Wireless you mentioned Alltel with Penske Singular Wireless obviously with RCR it burned those guys it really did and you know it didn't hurt RCR any because they went and stole a sponsor from Bill Davis Racing so um, Lee what are your opinions on this Monster Energy deal quick what do you think we're going to you think we're going to see that you think that's that is going to happen well I know NASCAR in the negotiating said that they are very very um, you know uh, one of the main things in the negotiating is they don't want the exclusive, exclusivity deal that they had with Sprint, which outlawed the other two two companies. Um, and I think that's a good move. I really uh, two phone companies. I think that's a really good move. So I think if Monster came in, it wouldn't uh, you know kick out Five Hour Energy or or um, you know any other uh, you know uh, energy drink company that would want to come into the right. sport. I think that they uh, I think that they that that's part of the deal, but. I thought it was only. I thought it was. I thought it was um, strangely timed. I really did, and, I, and here's the reason why. Bob Pockers from ESPN wrote an article about NASCAR, saying, you know, pretty much um, they're not, you know, it's not. They're not on schedule with the series sponsor, and then the next night, next night, two nights later, here comes Monster Energy and, and this press release out from basically NASCAR to Motorsport.com, saying, oh no, we, we, we have Monster in the wings. I don't know how long. How long they are in negotiating with Monster, but I thought it was time pretty coincidentally that way where, okay, you know what, we're going to tell you that we have this, this series sponsor here so you guys don't think we're falling behind, but it's Homestead and we still don't have a series sponsor named yet. So um, they clearly are behind, and, and now you're seeing rendering of cars for 2017 without any logo on them at, at all for this, where the series sponsor should be. You're seeing all kinds of other things, team photos that are going to be taking place for next year without any type of uh, series sponsor on it. So they are behind schedule. Um, but I thought that's, that was part of the reason why they timed that, and I'm not sure how far along they're going to be with Monster Energy. One more uh, um, um, interesting thing that I read was that they could be dropping the Cup Series sponsor, the Cup name from the Cup Series, where it could just be the Monster Energy Series. I want to know what you guys thought about that. Well, if they do that, I think that's stupid because I think part of the reason well, – and I understand why – well, not understand, but I – guess I understand where it's coming from because when you talk about the Xfinity series, you always say Xfinity. When you talk about the Camping World Truck series, I guess you say trucks. And usually it's Cup. But that's you know, that's what kind of keeps Cup sort of um, in line all these years is Cup, Cup, Cup. Okay, Cup makes sense. Cup series, Winston Cup, Sprint Cup, Monster Cup, Monster Energy Cup, however you want to do it. I think it keeps it in line. I think it makes sense to people going, well, oh, it's just a sponsorship where if you do that, I think you're going to confuse people by saying, is that a completely different series? What the heck is the Monster Energy series? You know, is that something like I'm seeing, like, uh, motorcycles? Like, I, I don't understand. Where if you have Cup, that automatically associates with NASCAR in the NASCAR's premier series. So I don't like that at all, John Harlow. What are your thoughts? Well, I remember back before there was a Winston Cup series. It was just the Grand National Series. I mean, there was no cup involved. I mean, it's just because Winston put the trophy in there and they called it the Winston Cup, and that's how it became the Winston Cup Series. Um, they were racing for the big trophy at the end. Um, it doesn't make a big deal to me, uh, the name Cup, one way or the other. I mean, you're watching baseball. It's the American League National League. It's the World Series at the end. I mean, it, you're, it's going to be the Monster Energy Series. It's going to be I mean, 99% of the time I'm saying it's NASCAR. 
I don't worry about the sponsor. It's, I'm watching NASCAR on Sunday, or if I'm watching NASCAR right. on Saturday. I know what the series is, but what are you doing this week? I'm going to watch the race. I mean, it's not like I'm going to my buddies and say, okay, I'm going to watch the Monster Energy Cup Series race today from Homestead Miami Speedway. No, I'm watching the race. I mean, fans will stick to whatever they do because they follow their drivers, they like the sport and all that stuff. It may bring new fans in because they drink Monster Energy drink and they like it and they're going to do this. But, I mean, we'll see what happens. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think most fans will just call it Cup anyway. I mean, like we used to do it with the Bush Series, with the Xfinity when Nationwide came in as well. You know, there's still some people who call it the Bush Series because it was Bush Series for so long. I still think there are going to be people who call it the Cup Series because it's been the Cup Series since 1972 or 73, however you want to put it. So, yeah. I don't think it'll make much of a difference. Uh, I think people will call it cup anyway. Um, John, real quick, I want to get your prediction for the Xfinity Series. Obviously, let's look at the Xfinity Series. They're running Homestead this weekend as well. It's their 33rd race. Um, Daniel Suarez, Elliot Sadler, Eric Jones, and Justin Allgaier are your four drivers who have advanced to the championship race Jones has four wins. Sadler has three. Suarez has two. Allgaier has none. Who do you got winning the Xfinity Series championship? I just got a feeling it's going to be Elliott Sadler because he's been there, done that. He's been in. He's actually been in the Cup chase the first year that they had it back in the day. Um, even though they, he doesn't have his crew chief, I think he's running well. He's been solid throughout the chase. And he's got a little more experience. You've got the Eric Jones and Daniel Suarez part from Joe Gibbs Racing, but isn't Kyle Busch also running Saturday that could mess all that up for them? And I think Justin Allgaier has been a heck of a season, but I ju- he hasn't shown that he can win yet. I don't mm-hmm. think he's going to get his first win Sunday at Homestead. I think it's going to be Elliott Sa- or Saturday at Homestead. I think it's going to be Elliott Sadler. Well, Kyle Busch is not running this weekend because he may qualify for a chase last season, but Kyle Larson is. Um, so that that's a potential guy who can win, a cup guy who can win. Lee, who do you got winning the Xfinity Championship? I like I like Eric Jones. I think that these Joe Gibbs racing cars have been unbeatable all season long, um, and I just think that they're going to be unbeatable once again. It's, a, it's an intermediate. It's a mile and a half, barring a huge mistake. Um, or, or a mechanical failure. Uh, Eric Jones, I think, is the favorite. I think he's unbeatable. There's only really two, two, three really big cup guys in it. Ryan Blaney's in the 22, um, Austin Dillon's in the three, and then Kyle Larson's in the 42. Um, one of those three could easily win, but I think Eric Jones has a good a shot to win as anybody just because he's in a JGR car and he's got a lot of talent. So um, I wouldn't count out Eric Jones at all. I think he's definitely the favorite. John made a good point, though, about Elliot Sadler, where if I think they're, if you were to line them up, I think Elliot Sadler is definitely a close number two just because he's got the veteran experience. And that team has run well at times, and they've even beat cup guys at times this year. So, um, you know, those two I think are definitely the favorites, but i got to give Jones the, the upper hand just because of the equipment that he's in. I agree with Sadler and Jones. I think they're the, they're the favorites right now. I think if Suarez and Allgaier win, no disrespect to those guys, I think it would surprise some people. Um, you know, just because Suarez, the young kid who's not, not been there before uh, in his first year in the Xfinity Series, and Allgaier, um, you know, he, he just hasn't won a race this year, so it would really surprise some people, I think, for sure. But, you know, uh, Sadler and Jones have probably been the two best cars all year long here in this series as far as dominance is concerned for Xfinity Series regular teams. Uh, so I think they're a favorite. I'm going to go Jones, too, just because, like you said, Brandon, or Lee, excuse me, that, um, you know, th- he's got 35 bonus points this year. He's led a ton of laps. He's won four races. He does he does great work. So uh, that's Joe Gibbs Racing is going to put all their emphasis on that, on both cars, really, too. But I think Jones, at the end, will win it. Uh, truck Series, they are also running for the championship this weekend as well. Their four drivers are Johnny Sauter, Matt Kraft, and Christopher Bell, Peters, Sauter's won three races. He's won he won two in the chase. Uh, Crafton's won two races. Bell has won one. Peters hasn't won yet this season. Uh, Crafton, he's been there twice before. He's a two-time defending series champion. Sauter's never won the championship, nor has Peters. They're veterans. And then you got the young kid of Christopher Bell driving for Cobblish Motorsports. 
Uh, four Toyotas in the Camping World Truck Series chase this weekend. John Harlow, who's your champion in the Truck Series? GMS Racing's running great right now, but it's not Johnny Sauter. It's been Spencer okay. Gallagher's been running really, really well. I got to go with experience. I got to stay with Matt Crafton. I just got a feeling he knows how to get around the mile and a half. Christopher Bell is the best Kyle Busch Motorsports truck. Uh, that's William Byron. And if he wouldn't have if he wouldn't have blown an engine at Phoenix, he would have been sitting in this, and we'd have been all talk, all every one of us saying William Byron's one who's going to win it. But I got to right. feel it's Crafton again. Interesting. I I made a horrible mistake there, guys calling uh, Sauter a Toyota. Obviously, he's in a Chevrolet for GMS Motorsports. My bad there. Um, I love where GMS has been, especially in the Chase League. I think GMS has been really, really fast. Sauter, like, won two races. Uh, Spencer Gallagher sat on the pole at Texas. Um, but, you know, uh, Crafton's got the experience for sure. I think one of the better teams in the truck series is Kyle Busch Motorsports. And then you got that dark horse, Timothy Peters. I think everybody's sort of uh, favorite, you know, sentimental favorite because he's a guy who worked his way up from his own team. Uh, they're a truck series only team. Uh, doesn't have a lot of sponsorship on that truck. So I think a lot of people might be pulling for Timothy Peters this weekend, but I think he's a long shot. Who do you got, Lee? Who's your truck champion? Hey boy, this is a toss-up. This is almost as much of a toss-up as it is in the cup level just because of the caution clock and the restarts. You know, anything can happen. Some Ozo could make a, a crazy move on a restart and take out the leaders. Um, and it's very competitive, the Camping World Truck Series. You know, there's a lot of guy, drivers in the field that can win the race, let alone just the guys who are running for the championship. John made a good point when he said, you know, William Byron's been the best KBM truck. He could easily go out and win at Homestead. Um, if I had to pick one, boy, um, I'm going to go with Johnny Sauter. I think he's hungry. I think GMS is striking while the iron's hot. They're striking at the right time. They're running strong at the right time. Um, and I just think Johnny Sauter isn't going to be one of those ones that, uh, you know, lets it get away from him. He's been, he's changed teams really because he's playing second fiddle to Matt Crafton at Thor Sport Racing these last few years, and now he's the number one guy at GMS Racing, and I think he's going to win a title this year. Yeah, and they got some great horsepower there, uh, children's horsepower underneath the hood in that car. But, you know, Toyota's no, no slouch either, so it's going to be very interesting. I think you're right. It is a toss-up, no doubt about it. I think you're absolutely right. Uh Crafton's a guy, like I said, he's been there before, but I just don't like where that 88 truck's been lately. I, they, they've run good, but they haven't been as dominant as they have other, in other years in, this cha- in, in the championship. And this is the first year of the chase for them, and he's never had to do this before, so it's completely different. It's not like they have a guy who's come in here two years in a row after winning this chase format and say, well, he's done it before. We've seen him in this chase format. We know he can do it. We haven't. Uh, and he's sort of been on a defense as well at Homestead Miami Speedway, like we talk about where Jimmy Johnson has been in the past. So I'm going to go Johnny Slaughter here. I'm going to agree with Lee. I just love where GMS Racing is running. I think Slaughter's a very good driver. Um, it's interesting nobody took Christopher Bell. I think he's too young. I think he's too raw right now. And Peters, like I said, he's a long shot. I would be thrilled if Timothy Peters won a championship. He's a champion in my mind. He's a great driver. I just – you know, as far as the teams are concerned, I think he's on the team that has the least funding there. I think he's on the team that has uh, basically the, the longest shot at making this championship. That's none of his doing, but that's just reality. Uh, guys, great picks on your champion. I love it. Um, we got one more topic here before we close this thing out, and it's near and dear to John Harlow's heart. Uh, I'm going to go to John Harlow in a second here with this, but, you know, let's obviously talk about this. Tony Stewart final race of his career, you know, we've heard people say that before and come back. Don't really see Tony doing it, but crazy things have, crazier things have happened. This is his final race as a full-time Cup Series driver. Uh, started his career in 1999, 49 career wins, three championships. The list goes on and on and on. Um, what is your, John Harlow, what is your favorite Tony? I'm sure there's a lot that come to mind. What is your favorite Tony Stewart memory um, through the three championships and 49 wins. What is your favorite Tony Stewart memory? My favorite one, I was working as a sports editor of the Daily Herald in Tyrone, Pennsylvania, and we were at Pocono, and we're in Victory Lane, and Smoke is celebrating and everything, and 
I yelled over, I was joking with him. I said, there's a sprint car race at Sealings Grove tonight. And he says, meet me out back. We'll hop in the chopper and go. Now, I didn't hop in the chopper with him, but it's like you could tell mentioning a dirt car, mentioning there's a dirt race anywhere within helicopter range, okay, let's go. That was my favorite personal memory of him. As a driver, I watched it last night. Five years after it happened, I still get goosebumps watching that race. It was the 2011 championship race at Homestead. How he went into that saying, we're junk, we have no business being here, and they come out and they win five races, tie Carl Edwards on points and win on the tiebreaker. The other thing that I always loved was no matter how ticked off he was, and I watched some of his funny interviews today, I still think of the one where him and Joey Logano um, at California where Stewart went to punch him and Steve Burns is interviewing him, walking out, and Tony said he's going to kick his ass, and then Steve Burns said, thank you. And Tony, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after going from being ticked off to, well, thank you, too. <laughs> it's just the typical Tony Stewart. I mean, you never know what's going to come from him. Yeah, and, Lee, I want to get your opinion on this in a little bit here, but I'll say this about Tony Stewart. Because this, this is what has just come to mind for me. You know, I think his story is phenomenal, where if you know where he came from and how hard he worked to get to where he is, and just the natural ability to drive a race car, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing to see what he's done to get to where he has been. And with the money playing such a big factor in this sport nowadays, you have to wonder how many more Tony Stewart's are out there that will get the opportunity he's gotten. That's one thing that will be imprinted in my mind is his just he's just got such a great talent to drive a race car. Lee and Virginia, what are your thoughts on Tony Stewart here before we wrap up the show? Well, there's so many personal ones that are really funny. Uh, you know, you got the David Reagan dart without feathers. You got the mm-hmm. uh, media center where he said he you know, saw the legs off and, and that'll make it entertaining. Um, and then, obviously, I think my favorite personal one is when he was in the back of the truck at Las Vegas Motor Speedway after the reconfiguration during the Bush Series race. And he said that Chris Powell destroyed a really, really nice racetrack here. I thought that was just great. And then I think driving-wise, one of the ones that gets underrated is in the, in the Bush Series, and he's driving for Kevin Harvick at Daytona. He went through the grass and was able to save the car and drive up there, and I believe he ended up winning that race, actually. Um, yeah, that was, that's an incredible move that I think 99 other drivers out of 100 would, would have crashed the entire field during that little spin there that Tony had. And he ended up winning that race and won like five out of six push races at Daytona. Uh, that's something there where I think that, you know, you, if you wanted to see how good Tony Stewart was in one moment, you watch that clip there and you go, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, Lee, and that's great. That's a great call, and we appreciate you, Lee, coming on, on board here. We're going to have to let you go here. I'm sorry. Uh, but great. that's a great moment. And I'll tell you, John, when I think about the Daytona thing, um, you know, he, he made people. I know when I, I used to go, I still do, go to, to the Daytona Xfinity race in February every year. But that was something that I know there was people in the stands who went there to see if Tony Stewart would win. And he would win that race, and it was amazing. He, he won so many races. That it's almost like Earnhardt. He won so many races at Daytona and never won the Daytona 500. Uh, and that's not his lasting legacy to me. And, and there's one you guys forgot about his little rant, and I'll touch on this now, is when he was in <laughs> practice. And this is what makes Tony Stewart so great. It's his passion, even during practice. He was practicing at Daytona, and they, you know, back in the day, he had to wrap the car, you know, go around and get two laps in to get fully up to speed. And there was some kind of debris on the racetrack. He was fuming and completely destroyed NASCAR on on the fact that they threw a red flag when they didn't need to during practice. It was really, really funny. Um, but, you know, like I said, John, it, the fact that he didn't win the Daytona 500, and we're going to lose our live audience here in a minute, so if you want to listen to the rest of the show, uh, go to speedwaymedia.com, click on the Talking Circles page. You can go there or go to our Facebook or Twitter page. The fact that he didn't win the Daytona 500, do you think that hurts his legacy at all, John? What are your thoughts on that? Not one bit. Not one bit. Same reason it didn't hurt. I mean, Mark Martin, everybody recognizes him as one of the great champions of NASCAR, and he never won a championship. Tony Stewart not winning the Daytona 500 is just a blip in the radar. 
same reason, I mean, how can you argue? Now, Jimmy Johnson has set the world on fire and has done amazing things in this sport. Jeff Gordon did amazing things in this sport. Jeff Gordon started in this sport at 21. Tony Stewart was not 21. He was 28, 29 whenever he came south. Um, it just different eras. But let's think what Tony Stewart won. He won the National Go-Kart Championship. He won the USAC Triple Crown, which is three different cars, three different series in the same year. He won the IRL. He won the IROC. He won three cup championships. He won the Chili Bowl twice. And I was watching an interview between him and Robin Miller today whenever they were talking before this year's Chili Bowl where Stewart was doing track maintenance. And basically, Stewart said flat out, there's 334 people who enter this race. 24 cars make it to Saturday night. So to be in the race, you have to be in the top 8%. And he's not won the Chili Bowl once, he won it twice. Mm -hmm. So it's just amazing what the guy's done. And not just what he's done as a driver. Look at what he's done for the sport. He owns three tracks. He owns a sprint car series. He owns race teams. He owns a PR shop. He owns True Speed Communications. He put together Stuart Haas Racing. Before Tony got there, Haas CNC Racing, I don't think he had a top five. And Gene Haas was in jail at the time. And was right. basically saying, okay, either we got to do something about this or we're folding up our tent. And Rick Hendrick and uh, Joe Custer said, hey, why don't we try this? Let's give 50% of the team to Tony and let him run it. And you see what's happened. They've won two championships. They've been in the show since 2009, whenever he went and created Stuart Haas Racing. And that team has been legit since day one. It's amazing what this man has done for the sport. There's always going to be the Kevin Ward shadow, and yeah. that's something that's always going to be there, and it's sad that it's there. But if you think about how many times Tony Stewart has gone to a dirt track and seen a driver who didn't have a good enough Hans device or their belts weren't good enough, next thing you know, that driver would open up their mail a couple days later and there's a brand-new set of belts or a brand-new Hans device, or somebody needed tires for their car. Hell, how many times did Tony Stewart buy tires for Dave Marcus so he could keep racing? Him and Earnhardt were the two biggest tire suppliers for Dave Marcus the whole time through. So what he's done, not just in the car, but for the sport overall, from dirt to paved to IndyCar to NASCAR, I don't know if anybody has done more for the sport ever than what Tony Stewart did. Yeah, and listen, you bring up a lot of great points. And I'll give you another one real quick is the Brian Clawson thing where, you know, he went out and uh, bought Brian Clawson's helmet uh, from the charity to, for Brian Clawson's fia uh, wife, fiance, excuse me, and then gave it to his fiance. You know, that's just a little thing that he does that goes kind of under the radar that, uh, just doesn't get enough credit and something that we're going to miss. And listen, I'm going to miss his outspoken personality. I love this sport more than anything in the world. I'm sure I've showed that on this show. I hope I do at least. And some of the stuff he says, I truly believe need to be said. And we talked about it last week, I believe, or two weeks ago. I'm not sure there's a lot of people out there who have the guts anymore to speak out on that, on those situations. Uh, and Tony does. And I give him all the credit in the world because he could get, you know, who knows if he's getting backlash from it. You know, if they expect, expect that, inspect that car just a wee bit tighter because of what he says, who knows? Um, that's something to keep in and mind. And well. on your point with Brian Clawson's fiance, when Tony bought the helmet, he sent his plane to Pocono to take or to get Justin Wilson's family so they could be with him mm -hmm. before he passed. He did uh, great things for Jason Leffler after. Leffler's family after he passed. Um, they even said if you go to different people in Indiana who are old,
and you want to know who got them their walkers or whatever, who got them their hearing aids or whatever, it's Tony. And he'll never tell anybody about it because they have given back to this month. And the double started yeah. was so he could get the money to Eddie from the Victory Junction Gang camp. He, he wanted to do races. Right. But And he gets all away so they can build the camp. I mean, the, the it, it never ends. Yeah, I, I, I listen. I agree. I think he's done so much for this sport and so much for uh, NASCAR. You know, motorsports as a whole. Um, it, it's something that's great, John. We're losing you a little bit there, breaking up there. I think we're losing your connection there. But I want to thank everybody for listening and talking in circles tonight. It was a great show. I want to thank John Harlow. He's a great co-host. Lee in Virginia for the call. It was an amazing call tonight. And I want to thank you fans for listening, helping us through or almost through another season of Talking in Circles and another season of NASCAR. It's been fun. I can't wait to see who wins these championships on Sunday. We'll break it down next week again on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.